Today on the Matt Wall Show, public health experts are calling for more lockdowns while blaming the public for not listening to them and causing a, a new surge in coronavirus cases. But maybe these people should consider that we aren't listening to them because they demolished their own credibility by supporting the BLM riots in the midst of the pandemic. We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including a nurse going on CNN to badmouth her own dying patients. And our daily cancellation, we will, of course, discuss Harry Styles in a dress. You know we have to talk about that on this show. All that coming up. But first, you know, we love underdog stories in America. Um, and here's one such story. Uh, raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, uh, faced with becoming a father in his teens, all the challenges, you know, that uh, many people have faced. Jason Waller is a definition of a true underdog. After hearing the words no and you can't do that too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to becoming a billion-dollar enterprise. So you could join Waller, a four-time entrepreneur of the year, um, as he shares motivational tips, inspiring stories, and business-building lessons from the ground up. This is someone who's been through it. He's been through the challenges. And so you can listen to him as he uh, teaches you what he went through, and, and he can pass on those lessons to you. Uh, as Waller will tell you, there is no elevator to success. The climb only happens one step at a time, you know, one moment at a time. So let every true, under, uh, every true underdog pod, podcast be the step that elevates you. Uh, scared money won't make money. So this is just, you know, this is this is America, and we love underdog stories, and that's why you need to check out True Underdog Podcast at trueunderdog.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, the lockdown plague is sweeping our country yet again, with more and more states reverting back to the policies that didn't work the first time. The old cliche about the definition of insanity seems to apply here. Of course, the lockdown policies never fully went away in most places in the first place, but now they're being ramped up and doubled down on especially with the holiday season upon us, and as we're told, a new surge in cases. Uh, Joe Biden was asked yesterday what Americans should do about Thanksgiving, and he echoed the entirely arbitrary 10-person limit, a limit that somehow remains the same for all dwellings, regardless of size. So here's what Biden had to say. And just uh, following up on that, especially with many states reporting new highs in terms of the daily number of cases and a lot of public health officials sounding the alarm over the holidays, would you, what is your message to people who are considering, for example, getting together with their families and others for Thanksgiving? Would you consider, would you urge people to reconsider their plans? Well, here's what I'd do. Let, let me tell you what the health experts have said to me. Um, and it's not because I'm unique and president-elect, it's because of my family. They strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum, maximum, they, they suggest five people, maximum 10 people, socially distanced wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. So Jill and I spent this morning like many of you, trying to figure out what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? How are we going to do it? And we've narrowed down which family members and that they were tested, recently tested in 24 hours. Now, admittedly, it does seem fun to, you know, sit down with a list and decide which of your in-laws are getting voted off the island. But, you know, we don't personally plan on doing any such thing in our house. Joe Biden says the experts recommend it, the public health experts, so-called. But there's a problem with the public health experts, and Andrew Cuomo, actually, in a recent speech over the weekend, gets to the, the bottom of that problem. Listen. The key is to be strong and secure enough to admit your mistakes and admit your shortcomings. Don't get defensive. 
Denying the mistake only assures repeating the mistake. We've made mistakes during COVID. I wrote a book on the lessons to be learned from the COVID crisis. I think of COVID as low tide for America. Do you know how when you stand on the beach and you look out at the water and the tide is high and all you see is the surface of the water and the waves and everything looks nice and beautiful. But you stand at the same point at low tide when the water goes out and the sea bottom is revealed and you see rocks and you see debris and you see the ugliness that the water was covering. COVID was low tide in America, and it showed us the ugliness and flaws deep down in our society. Now, I have to say I have some conceptual problems with the low tide analogy there that he keeps going back to. I'm not sure if I'd call a beach at low tide ugly. Um, maybe in New York it is, because you can see more of the trash in the sand. So I, I think this is one of those things where you have to say, speak for yourself, Cuomo, and New York. But in any case, Cuomo talks about admitting your mistakes. And uh, he's right. You know, that is important. You can't have credibility if you won't admit your mistakes. The problem is that Cuomo exempts himself from that criticism. The mistake, for example, of sending infected patients into nursing homes, killing thousands of elderly people. Uh, that's a huge mistake, but it's not a mistake that he's willing to admit or apologize for. So when he says admit your mistakes, he means Trump. Trump should admit his mistakes. Doesn't mean himself. And he also doesn't mean the so-called public health experts. But the, pub, the public health experts who are, you know, we're supposed to listen to now as they push for lockdowns yet again, have never admitted any mistakes, have never apologized for what they got wrong. And I don't just mean the conflicted messaging on masks and other measures or the fact that we're having a second wave at all, even after following their guidelines in the first place. It seems that the recommendations of public health experts are sort of unfalsifiable. Because if we follow what they have to say and the problem goes away, then it proves they were right. But if we follow it and the problem gets worse, it also proves somehow that they were right. They can't be wrong, which is a good sign that maybe they are. But they've settled on who is to blame. Um, and it isn't them. It's you. This is all your fault, not theirs. Here is public health expert Dr. Jeremy Faust on Twitter a couple days ago. He says, Scientists and medical experts are not ruining Thanksgiving. Igno ignoring us is what achieved that. And Ellie Murray, another so-called expert, equally smug, says, experts three months ago, if you want to have a semi-normal Thanksgiving, follow these simple rules. Public, nah, seems like a hassle. Experts now, in-person Thanksgiving is probably not a good idea. Public, what? How could you let it get this bad? And this is the message. It's your fault you dumb rubes, you conspiracy theorists, you science-denying hicks. If you would only listen to us, everything would be okay now. We'd be living in a paradise. Of course, the issue here is that most people did listen. There were lockdowns across the country. Still, there are heavy restrictions in most places. Most people wear masks. And I say that anecdotally from what I've noticed, and also according to the polls, most people wear them. Uh, people did listen to the recommendations and the orders. If it didn't work, maybe that's because there was something wrong with the recommendations and the orders. But there's a bigger problem here, I think. It, you know, it's one thing to simply be wrong, especially when dealing with a novel virus. Uh, it's one thing to adjust to new facts as they come in. 
okay, you know, we, that's understandable. It's quite another thing to demonstrate dishonesty and as a public health official to reveal yourself to be concerned about politics over health. Now, you'd be a fool if you stopped listening to your doctor forever because he was wrong about one thing. But you'd be also be a fool if you still listen to your doctor, even after he's made it obvious that he's dishonest and doesn't really care that much about your health. Fallible people can still be trusted. If they couldn't, we couldn't trust anybody. But dishonest people cannot be trusted, obviously. Many of the people who want us to trust them about COVID and lockdowns fall into that latter category of being dishonest. Now, as you may recall, during the summer, pandemic still raging. Many businesses closed down while, you know, others dealt with strict capacity limits and other restrictions. At that point, thousands of BLM rioters swarmed cities across the country for weeks and weeks on end, mass gatherings nationwide, gatherings that involved, if you remember, lots of shouting and screaming and chanting, often done in close quarters or directly in the face of passersby. If going to church is dangerous, eating in a restaurant is dangerous, going to the movies is dangerous, visiting your mother on Thanksgiving is dangerous, then there is no way that gathering in an unruly mob of 5,000 people could possibly be safe. Now, we could debate where on the scale of dangerous to rate it, but it can't be actually safe, especially when outdoor protests had already been condemned by public health experts back when anti-lockdown activists were participating in them. And yet these same so-called experts supported the BLM riots. Remember that uh, 1,200 epidemiologists and disease specialists and other supposed experts published a letter during the height of the riots back in, I think it was June, condoning them, encouraging them on the absurd basis that white supremacy is a bigger threat than COVID. And so it's okay to risk getting COVID in order to combat white supremacy by looting a CVS. The, The letter didn't say that exactly, but that was the gist. In fact, it's worse than that. The signers of the letter admitted that there will be more infections because of the protests. They said, quote, prepare for an increased number of infections in the days following a protest. Provide increased access to testing and care for people in the affected communities, especially when they or their family members put themselves at risk by attending the protests. But this was in the context of encouraging and celebrating the protests. They admitted that people are going to get infected. In fact, both of the experts mentioned a moment ago who are lecturing the public for not listening to them expressed at the time at least tentative approval of the BLM riots. And so if you're in the public health industry and you're wondering why no one takes you seriously now, and then people aren't listening while you call for more lockdowns, this is it. You torched your own credibility. You tied it to a stake, set it on fire, and danced around the flame. Either mass gatherings are not as dangerous as you claim, and that's why you supported the BLM riots, or they are as dangerous as you claim, yet you were willing to support such dangerous activities for political reasons or perhaps out of sheer moral cowardice. Whatever the case, dishonest cowards have no right to expect to be taken seriously. And whether you expect it or not, we don't take you seriously. We never will again. And you have only yourself to blame for that. Let's get to our five headlines. So a uh, South Dakota ER nurse was on CNN last night making some unflattering claims about her dying patients. Uh, Let's listen to some of that. Even now, the, the, the hospital is being overrun with COVID patients. They come in. They're horribly ill. They're gasping for breath. 
and yet they don't believe they have COVID? Yeah, I think the hardest thing to watch is that people are still looking for something else and they want a magic answer and they don't want to believe that COVID is real. And the reason I tweeted what I did is it wasn't one particular patient. It's just a culmination of so many people. And their last dying words are, um, this can't be happening, it's not real. And when they should be spending time FaceTiming their families, they're filled with anger and hatred. And it just made me really sad the other night. And um, I just can't believe that those are gonna be their last thoughts and words. Anger and hatred towards you? Um, you know, I think it's just uh, a belief that it's not real and nursing happens to be on the receiving end of that. And that's okay. We can take that. That's what you're there for. It's just in the bigger picture when you try to reason with people of, can I call your family, your kids, your wife, your friend, your brother? And they say, no, because I'm going to be fine. And you're watching their oxygen levels, um, you know, maxed out on what we call vapotherm at 100% and their oxygen level might be 75 that's not really that compatible with life. And we know where that's going to head. And it just makes you um, sad and mad and frustrated. And then you know that you're just going to come back and do it all over again. Now, I don't know if I really buy everything that she just said there, to be perfectly honest with you. And this interview went on for like five or six minutes. And I, I, I don't know if I buy everything that she said there. Um, but either way, uh, and I, I, I rarely call for people to be fired, but I would say that this woman should be fired because if you're an ER nurse and you're going and bad-mouthing your dying patients on CNN, uh, there is no excuse for that. I mean, how would you, if, you, if you're in South Dakota and you have to go to the hospital for whatever reason, and this woman walks in, how are you going to feel about that? You know, am I you're going to be thinking, am I going to be someone that she talks about on CNN for her next CNN hit? So that's a problem. Also, you know, what she's talking about uh, uh, and, and notice that the anchor like this, this smug half smile on her face. We're talking about people dying. And she's just got this 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 smug smile. Like, uh, what idiots. These are dying people. But the other thing is. What she's talking about, you know, if, if we trust everything that she's saying, uh, let's just for the sake of argument, let's say that that's all true. She's talking about people who are in denial, right, about the fact that they're dying. Well, that's that's common. And I, I'm not an ER nurse and I haven't been around a lot of dying people, but I have talked. I have I have nurses in my family. Uh, this is a question I've actually asked them about, you know, not 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 dealing, not specifically about COVID, but in general, you're dealing with someone who's in their final stages of life. And what is that, what is that like to, to, to be around that? Um, and what I've been told is that this is a pretty common thing. And it's not surprising to hear that it is. It's pretty common that people are in denial. People don't like to face the reality of, of what's happening. It doesn't matter if they're dying of COVID or whatever, they're cancer, whatever it is. Uh, people often are in denial about it or, or they're, they're hoping to the very last moment that a miracle will happen. Uh, sometimes it does. A lot of, most of the time it doesn't though. That's why we call it a miracle. So that, that's a pretty common thing. I would think. And I would think she's been around that before. Yet now here she is to make a point about COVID insulting these people on CNN. I just, it's absolutely despicable. Um, and get ready. You know, we, we thought we were past this. So we saw a lot of this kind of thing. These nurses on CNN and MSNBC doing this kind of thing, bringing attention to themselves, making dubious claims. 
um, re- revealing a real contempt for their own patients. So we saw a lot of that back in like May and June. I think we're going to still out. No, June's when the BLM riots started. So we, after that, at that point, that's when we stopped hearing about it. But April and May, we saw a lot of it. That's going to start up again, which also means, and I know now you're thinking, oh God, does that mean that the, the dancing is going to start again too? I think it is. There's going to be a second wave of dancing nurses. That's the thing I'm really terrified of right now. Okay, number uh, number two, the, the student debt cancellation idea was trending online yesterday. I think because of this story. Here's CNBC's report. Uh, it says, in a recent interview, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer suggested that President-elect Joe Biden uh, should issue significant student loan forgiveness through an executive order describing a possible FDR-style agenda uh, during Biden's first 100 days. He said, uh, Schumer said, I have a proposal with Elizabeth Warren that the first $50,000 of debt be vanquished. Vanquished. Vanquish the debt. And one way to vanquish debt is to pay it back. I mean, you did sign on the dotted line after all. And uh, we believe that Joe Biden can do that with the pen as opposed to legislation. So you can just sign something and get rid of $50,000 of debt if you have student loan debt. That's got to be nice. Schumer also mentioned policies to address climate change, wealth inequality, immigration reform, criminal justice reform. Uh, It's a big, bold agenda, he said. My job is to get as much of that passed and get the votes for it, which obviously is not something I can snap my fingers and do. Well, he can't snap his fingers and do that, but he can, but Joe Biden can apparently snap his fingers and make $50,000 of debt go away, which which makes you wonder, well, if he could do that with student loan debt, what about my mortgage? Uh, what about a car loan payment? Can you do that for us too? See, that's that's one of the many problems with the student debt cancellation idea is that this is just one form of debt that people are dealing with. I don't, I don't, I don't really see why this should be the focus. You know, if, if you want to help people financially by getting rid of debt, you can just make, make the mortgages go away. But here's, here's my real problem with the, with the um, whole student loan cancellation idea. Well, many problems with it, but here's one of them that the people who, who are calling for this, you know, they would respond to what I just said a second ago about how, well, you signed on the dotted line. I mean, how can you be a victim of a, an agreement that you entered into willingly? And their response would be, well, these kids were taken advantage of. This was predatory. Um, you know, these were, these, were, these were kids, basically. I mean, they might, might have been 18 years old, but they're just out of high school, and they don't understand what they're doing and they've been lied to. They've been given false hopes and false ideas about what the future holds and how easy it's going to be to pay all this back. And they don't really understand that they're going to be paying this for two decades or what that means for them financially. And so they're, they're entering into this because they think they have no choice. And the thing is, I agree. That's, that's true. I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that. I do think it's predatory. And I do think they're being taken advantage of. And I do think it's a scam. And I do think that a lot of these kids are agreeing to this, not really understanding what they're doing, and they're agreeing to it. They're paying exorbitant amounts of money for an education that simply is just not worth it, not worth that kind of money. But the problem is, so I can agree with that, but that means we need to be having a conversation about the university system fundamentally. And the people calling for loan cancellation they don't want to talk about that. So what they really want to do is 
they, 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 have, they have identified the beast, which is the university system taking advantage of these kids. But rather than slay the beast, they want to keep feeding the beast. And so I just, I can't take it seriously until we're going to have a conversation about the whole, the, the whole absurd idea that education should be this expensive in the first place. And also that every single person in the country needs to have, what, 16 years of formal education before they can get started living an adult life? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And until we're, we're, we're ready to talk about that, um, this situation is not going to get any better. You, you, make, you snap your fingers and make the loans go away. That's not going to cause the universities to charge less for to- tuition. If anything, it's going to have the opposite effect. Okay, number three. Uh, I want to share this with you, uh, a tweet from Kamala Harris. It's just, it's utterly terrifying. But she says, know that Joe Biden and I will wake up every single day thinking about you and your families. This is exactly the problem. This is what the, the left doesn't understand. I don't, we don't want that. I mean, I very much doubt it, first of all. I don't, I don't really believe it, first of all. I don't, I don't believe that you're waking up every morning thinking about, uh, what can I do for the American people today? But even if you are, that's not what we want. We don't want you waking up every day thinking about what you can do for us. We want basically to be left alone as much as possible. That's what most Americans want. Um, all right, my producer sent me this, something here from Pink News, the LGBT rag. So we'll see how far... We can get through this. Um, it says, new Call of Duty gives players proper non-binary option, and the most toxic of gamers are reacting exactly as you'd expect. The article says, are you non-binary? Have you always dreamt that one day you could serve Ronald Reagan and join the American military industrial complex and carry out war crimes? I, mean, I, I have dreamt. I'm not non-binary, but I, I, that is something I've dreamt about. If that sounds pretty neat to you, then now's your chance. In Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, players now have the option to, in a first for the series single-player mode, choose their gender, which includes a non-binary option. It comes after early reveals of the video game in August by publisher giant Activision revealed that users uh, were eager to play as imperialist war-hungry killers could list their custom character's gender as male, female, or classified. The move sparked a grab bag of reaction from LGBT plus gamers who uh, wondered why black ops couldn't just provide a dedicated non-binary option. The game's creative director initially sought to clarify during a venture beat roundtable that, okay, I can't go on this. That's as far as I can go. I thought this was going to, a whole article, but this, this is what people are worried about in America now. Having, je- having non-binary options for their video games. Here's something that's more important. Okay, this this is news that actually matters. A lot of headlines over the last day because, I mean, many headlines. I saw this all over social media. Maybe you saw it too. Because some hunters killed a moose that has pretty colors. So huge scandal here, huge outrage. This is the New York Post's report. It says, First Nations in Canada are mourning the loss of a rare white moose asking why anyone with a license to hunt would choose their ghostly spirit animal. 
In Ontario, two female moose were found shot and left discarded along a service road, bodies intact, including a sacred white cow. The poachers had evidently ignored the many signs warning against killing the legally protected creatures. The uncommon white moose get their ashen coloring from a recessive gene, are revealed similar to white bison, ravens, and grizzly bears. Uh, In 2013, three hunters in Nova Scotia were charged with killing a white moose and were forced to return the animal's pelt to the tribe, though they kept the head as a trophy. Wildlife officials are asking locals to help lead to the killer, and uh, Woodhouse and others in the area, including animal activists, have pooled $8,000 for anyone who can lead to the culprit. So I just have two questions here. Number one, why does, why does the color actually matter? I mean, what, 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 what's, what's the difference between shooting a, a, a moose with one kind of fur and a moose with, uh, with white color? I mean, we can make a joke here about white privilege for mooses, I guess. But the other interesting thing is that, and you find this a lot on the left, you know, what they tell us is that, well, this is a, it's a sacred moose, according to the indigenous people. And even in this New York Post report, they actually just refer to it as a sacred moose. Not even like they claim it's sacred. It's sacred. It's a sacred moose. That's not really sacred. It's just according to that religion it is. So interesting thing on the left where the only religion they respect or care about are, you know, indigenous religions. If this was something about Christians upset because some sacred thing of theirs was defiled, uh, you know, I don't think the left would care. I don't think we would see headlines about that. But the moose, yeah, that matters, apparently. All right, we're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. But before we do, you know, it's really important, I think, when you're, when you're wearing clothes. You want to look good, but you also have to feel comfortable. You want to try to go for both of those. This Black Friday, if you're on the hunt for men's essentials for yourself or as a gift, the only place you need to shop is Mack Weldon. Right now, Mack Weldon is offering an exclusive all-black pack, which includes a T-shirt, underwear, socks, inside of a packable backpack. The all-black pack comes with uh, more than $150 worth of products, but on Black Friday, you can get them for just $98. That's significant savings. And it's not like fake savings you get on Black Friday a lot, where they're taking something that is worthless and you don't need anyway, marking it down, people go and buy it. This is something you actually need. You know, you need comfortable clothes. And, you know, with Mack Weldon, you've got men's essentials like socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, active shorts. Uh, Mack Weldon promises comfort and a consistent fit. Plus, they have versatility. So you can look great, you can feel great. From working out, going out, you want to go on a date, whatever it is you're, you're doing in your life, Mack Weldon has something for your everyday life. And there's also technology in the clothes. Wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day looks like. Uh, they've also got, I should tell you about Weldon Blue. It's a, a totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level two, um, by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. So that's a hell of a deal there. Uh, look, once the, the saying here is, once you go Mac, you don't go back. That's, actually, it's once you go Mac Weldon, you don't go back. But I think, I think take the Weldon out. It sounds better. So to grab your exclusive all-black pack for just $98 uh, while supplies last, visit MacWeldon.com slash Walsh. Enter promo code Walsh. You'll also get 20% off your first order. That's MacWeldon.com slash Walsh. Promo code Walsh for 20% off. And the all-black pack for $98. Mac Weldon reinventing men's basics. Let's get to our daily cancellation. For today's daily cancellation, uh, we begin with Vogue magazine's latest issue, which features Harry Styles in a dress. The lengthy profile of Styles uh, has many more photos of the man in an array of skirts, dresses, other frilly assortments. We're told by various interview subjects that Styles' cross-dressing represents, quote, 
the image of a new era of the way that a man can look. And that the pop star is, quote, redefining what it can mean to be a man with confidence. It is revolutionary, quote unquote, to see someone who is so, quote, in touch with his feminine side. Now, the actress Olivia Wilde uh, in the uh, profile, she goes further. She says, I hope that this brand of confidence as a male that Harry has, truly devoid of any traces of toxic masculinity, is indicative of his generation, therefore the future of the world, she says about a guy wearing a blouse. I think he's in many ways championing that, spearheading that. It's pretty powerful and kind of extraordinary to see someone in this position redefining what it can mean to be a man with confidence. Now, not everyone is a fan of this supposed revolution of men wearing dresses. You can count me in the not everyone camp. Also, Candace Owens, whose tweet on the subject sparked a massive online backlash. She wrote in response to the Vogue piece, she says, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men, she says. Now, the counter-arguments to Owens, myself, Ben Shapiro, who was also trending yesterday for committing the crime of agreeing with Candace Owens, the counter-arguments to us and anyone else who questions whether we should be redefining what it can mean to be a man in this way mostly have revolved around the theme that uh, we're making too big a deal out of it, and it's weird that we care so much. And seriously, it's just a dude in a dress. What's the big deal? This is the tried and true leftist culture war tactic. And we have to really realize what they're doing because it never changes. We've seen the same play countless times already. They mock the other side for supposedly making a big deal out of the very thing they were just insisting is a big deal. They throw a parade to celebrate some ridiculous thing or another, and then they insist that any random straggler who declines to join them is a hysterical weirdo whose sin somehow is caring too much about it. They're the ones throwing the parade. All we're saying is, uh, you know, I'd rather not. And they say, what do you care so much about? What are you making such a big deal out of this? They present one side of the argument and hope to win the dispute by convincing you that only a freakish loser would bother presenting the other side. They try and often succeed in dressing something up as both a revolutionary world-changing act and a totally banal, normal, everyday occurrence that should barely attract notice. They shout, uh, why are you looking over here? Right after they just shouted, hey, look over here. People who have good arguments don't bother with mind games. And these are mind games. In reality, the fact that Harry Styles himself wears dresses is indeed banal and uninteresting. You know, I would not have elected to publish a 5,000 word cover story on the subject, but that was Vogue's choice, not mine. There is nothing particularly revolutionary or earth shattering about a pop star dressing in silly outfits. Pop stars have been doing that since the dawn of the genre. But the overall attempt by our culture to redefine masculinity and feminize men is important, and it is certainly worth fighting against. Different times and places have had slightly different ideas about how men and women ought to look and act, but none have ever declared that men and women are the same and ought to look the same way and do the same things. That is our unique innovation, and the results have already been catastrophic in our culture. A society without a clear idea of what a man is or what a woman is um, and, and what a man does is a society that breeds despair individually and decay collectively, and we're witnessing that right now. It's not that one cross-dressing dude can have this effect. There have been cross-dressing dudes since time immemorial, as many on the left have com 
correctly pointed out. The difference is that cross-dressing in times past was seen as bizarre, different, usually done for a laugh. Masculinity itself was not threatened by it because society's recognition of masculinity and its respect for its boundaries is what made the spectacle of a guy in a dress funny in the first place. So in the same way, you know, a guy belching at the dinner table might be funny, depending on your sense of humor, but it doesn't threaten to destroy the rules of etiquette unless we all start pretending that there are no rules to destroy in the first place. Then you'll end up with a lot more people burping at the dinner table and none of it will be funny anymore. The thing that makes it funny is that it violates the rules. The point is that there's a clear difference between merely crossing a boundary, you know, for a laugh, to make a point, to be a jerk, to get attention, whatever, and erasing the boundary entirely. So when the left is not doing its, oh, shucks, what's the big deal, folks, routine, it will freely admit that it's that it is reaching for the latter goal to erase the boundaries of masculinity and create a post-gender society where the words man and woman have no meaning. Now, it can never actually succeed in this task because it's fighting against biological realities, which can never be fully superseded. But it can settle for making people disoriented, especially children. It can create an environment where boys are made to be more feminine, girls more masculine, and neither has any idea who they really are. Confusion is the ultimate objective. And the left will celebrate anybody who contributes to it in whatever small way. And so Harry Styles is canceled, yes. But more so, I'm canceling everyone who wants to revolutionize masculinity and yet refuses to at least be honest about what they're doing. And by the way, even if Styles didn't wear a dress at all, I'd still cancel him for this picture right here. Uh, this was also in the, in the Vogue spread. That's a kilt he's wearing, not a skirt, so that's fine. He gets by on a technicality here. But he's also jumping on a trampoline. Um, men should never be photographed jumping on trampolines especially when they're wearing kilts. And especially because they had to bring this trampoline out to this field in order for him to jump on it. They brought, a, they brought a trampoline out into a field of flowers, put him in a kilt, and had him jump on it and took pictures. The whole thing is terribly undignified, um, even more so than the dresses in my view. So that's, that's canceled. Everybody's canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.